I am so glad you could join us. I'm your host, Mo Gaudat. This podcast is nothing more than a conversation between two good friends sharing inspiring life stories and perhaps some nuggets of wisdom along the way. This is your invitation to slow down with us. Welcome to Slow Mo. Thanks for coming back. In this part two, I'll continue my conversation with Charlene Giselle about biohacking, primal health and fitness and diets. We're going to focus a little bit on breath work and talk about guided tantra, among many other topics that are mainly targeted to help you view the world slightly differently and build a lifestyle that is a little more primal instead of the stressful pace that we go through every day. Charlene Giselle is a Cambridge University law graduate. She lived the early years of her career as a litigation lawyer and then had her illusions, if you want, uh, stripped away when her father, who is her most beloved person in the world, suffered a heart attack while she was in the middle of an important trial. The stress and concern for losing her father as well as her lifestyle ended up leading her to burnout. And that's when she made the dramatic decision to step away from her legal career. Instead, she embarked on a world health and wellness tour. She went to the furthest corners of the earth to try and learn about what makes us healthy, what's good for our well-being. She qualified as a primal health coach and a corporate wellness consultant. And now she advises her former low colleagues, top corporate executives, and so on, on how to optimize their health and well-being so that they don't experience the same stress and burnout that she did. But I'm sure you know all of that from part one. So let's jump in and continue the conversation with Charlene Giselle. But I could take the supplements, right? I mean, sure. if I have a protein bar a day and that complements my my vegan diet, I mean, one of the things I've observed and I've always sort of championed is, yes, you can be an incredible athlete on a vegan diet, but you're going to work out at least four to six hours a day so that you can burn the 7,000 calories of carbs that are part of your diet so that you just get enough protein to build muscles. But, but not every one right. of us can live that way. And it comes with a whole lot of other issues as well, because if you're going to eat that much, your gut is never going to rest. So we're actually biologically made to go through period of famine. Fasting, intermittent fasting, is one of the most powerful things that we can do as humans. And if we think about our ancestors when they were going hunting, if they were getting starved, they were actually more performant because it was a question of love for death. So one of the hacks that I use in my personal life, if I know that I have a very important meeting, or I have a very important call, I'll make sure that I don't eat beforehand. Interesting. So I don't embark on a sort of insulin roller coaster. Or if I do eat, it will be purely fat or fat and protein, but most definitely not sugar. Because whenever you get the sugar, you get an insulin spike and then you get a crash and then you get more and then you crash. And you're kind of as inconsistent as your mood. So a lot of people that I talk to, I look at them, I'm like, whoa, sugar talking. <laughs> because the mood <laughs> is inconsistent. Yeah. yeah. That's so eye-opening. That's so interesting. And to hear you say, I will eat mostly fat, that's almost the oh. opposite of the common belief. 
Right. Yes, I know. I eat 60% fat in my diet. Oh my God. 30% protein and 10% carbs, if that. Most days is actually 70% is that true? fat. <laughs> in what form? In the form of very fatty cuts of meat. Uh, I mm -hmm. eat grain. I eat sirloin. I eat all the fat. I eat lard. I eat yolk of the eggs. I eat all forms of fatty fishes. Oh, wow. I eat all the organs, all the organ meats, the skin, the cartilage, the bones. I make broth. Um, there is nothing I don't eat in an animal. Okay, guys listening, I think you should just search for Charlene Giselle to see how she looks. Just to make you understand, she's super fit, right? Your skin is super healthy. Your hair is super healthy. You're very energetic. So that's almost the opposite of what we're told. <laughs> And the idea of you can't eat fat so that you don't get fat, it doesn't seem to work with you at all. No, but it, it doesn't actually just work for anyone. It's not a me-kept secret. It's we are either burning fat or burning sugar. So it's almost, if you think of it like a car and we have, we're either going to burn one form of petrol or another carburant, our body is designed the same. So you're either going to be a fat-burning machine or you're going to be a sugar burning machine. But when you're a sugar burning machine, it's really, really not efficient. When you eat fat, good fat, there is such a thing as fat fat, all those sunflower oils and this margarine, that's, that's just really, really toxic. But real whole food fat, then you trigger a system whereby you become a fat burning machine and your energy is good, your thinking is good, you have no brain fog, you have really beautiful skin. I think most people that eat the diet that I eat, you look younger than they are because they wrinkle less. You don't get sunburned because your skin is also has more fat and has just a better quality. And your performance with working out are much better. Your work performance are much better. And it also helps you align your circadian rhythm because you're never on that carb roller coaster. So carbs are the enemy. We're trying to get rid of the carbs. Well, I think they are good carbs. The real enemy is anything that's processed, anything that's long shelf life, anything that we were not designed to eat, anything that has ingredients in it is a really big red flag. See, I think that there is so much fat diet out there and we actually need to simplify it. So what I always say to my client is, can you read the label? Like, does it make sense to you? Are those ingredients that if you were going hunting or if you were going foraging, <laughs> if you were going fishing, could you find those in nature? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. If not, why would you put that in your mouth? And then again, it's just common sense. If we think back about how we evolved, which we often don't, because we always, this is our nature, right? This is our society. We're always thinking future, 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 more, more, more. But let's take moments to actually be either anchored into the present and reflect on our ancestry. So much wisdom with our ancestors. And we're not mm -hmm. giving it time of the day. We're not really, you know, I love history and I love going back through my ancestors. And one of the things that I love doing is going back through my grandmother's house and digging out her old recipes. So you don't have to go million years back, even just going a few generations ago you'll notice that they didn't eat like we do now and they didn't have the metabolic disease that we do now. 
right? So there is a direct correlation between the industrial process of the food and the disease, the modern day disease. Absolutely. But, but then I have to take you back a bit. I mean, if we talk about primal ancestors diet, they didn't also eat meat every day. I mean, they would go hunting maybe once a week and the tribe would eat for a couple of days. We're overdoing it tremendously now. Oh, for sure. I completely agree. I fast quite regularly. Most days I have one meal a day. Other days I have two meals in my day, but I most definitely don't have three and I don't snack. But my portions are quite big. I feast and then I have <laughs> long periods without food. Oh, I eat like a caveman. I use my hand and, you know, <laughs> oh, I wow. think it's cool, but it may not be a pretty picture. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, maybe there is something in it. I mean, we, we always say earth yourself and touch the ground, maybe touching your food as well. I don't know. I mean, again, you go around the world and there are quite a few, I had dinner with kings who eat with their hands, right? With very, very successful businessmen in India that will eat with their hands. And it's, it's again, it's a very Western thing that would show you that you should do differently. Right. But I personally really enjoy it. I'm not saying that it's a must do, but I think there is something very tribal and there is something to be said about not just what you eat, but how you eat, when you eat and with whom you eat, because it's all part of the slowing down, right? Fast food, fastly consume, fastly dispose and fastly sick. <laughs> when you slow things down, even slowing the cooking process, slowing the chewing process, slowing the digestion process, slowing the rush between the meals. I, I travel quite a lot and I'm perfectly content to leave my house knowing that I may not eat until the following day. That doesn't give me anxiety. I'm not going to have this junk food on the train or on the plane because I know that I can most definitely survive one day without food. It's a mindset, right? You just need to trust your body a little bit more but we're always looking for that soothing right a lot of what we eat is emotional hunger rather than physical hunger it's it's a sort of getting a quick fix right mm, mm. because we're all looking constantly for quick fixes well, my meals are, are very filling very slowly cooked i put a lot of love in it and I like to share them with my loved one. And it's a tribal moment. It's a communion. It's a community. It's a feeling of togetherness. And I always think about, you know, we wellness and I illness. So we want the we or do we want the I? <laughs> okay, again, please Google Charlene Giselle. You're very French, very elegant, very stylish. And to hear you talk about those very primal ways of living is actually quite a contradiction. Why have we separated from that as humans? Why did we choose that there are certain ways where you hold the fork and the knife in a certain way and stand in a certain way and that this is how humans should be, when in reality yeah. we were not always like that? I think that's an amazing question, Mo, and I think perhaps I don't want to go down a rabbit hole of philosophy, but I think if we think about the concept of Carl Jung and the shadows and the light, I think we as a society are very reluctant to embrace our shadows, right? So we want all things pretty and shiny and we don't want to be the hunter. We don't want to get our hands dirty. And there is this kind of sense that it needs to be clean, to be good. 
because we don't want to get dirty, because we don't want to get dark. But we all have a hunter within us. We all have shadows. And I think having done a lot of shadow work through my tantra practices and having really embraced the darkness and the light, I can see that I don't need to be all shines and sparkle. And at the same time, I can, you know, gut a fish and have blood on my hands, which I actually really enjoy, and then put my red lipstick on and look like a pretty girl. <laughs> it's not really either or, because we're all dual. And actually, I think it pertains as well to that idea, which is an illusion, that we're either male or female. Of course, we are either one or the other physically as a reality in this life. Yeah, is that biology? But our energy yeah. is, is dual, right? We have energetical masculine energy we have feminine energies male have feminine energy women have feminine energy there is the yin and the yang within us at all times but again we don't want to embrace that we don't want to face that so it's it's just suppressing everything that is perhaps not pretty not wanting to be seen but then with suppression comes repression and comes depression whereas when we allow ourselves to express to be to be weakness, to be acknowledged, and also to be heard. I think there is so much liberation. One of the things that I find quite incredible is when I work with a lot of my clients, you know, the idea of shaking or moving or even excelling in an audible manner, you know, going, ah, is, is very confrontational. It's, ooh, ooh. Out of the comfort zone completely, yeah. Completely. And I'm saying that with all my love because I was there, right? Up until the point where I did all the work and I reconnected with that primal, which is dormant, but is within all of us. We all have that within us. I don't want to interrupt you. You're saying so many amazing things, but I, I just have so many questions. So uh, <laughs> you were saying you got this from training like you were trained to be able to be with your shadows like is that what guided tantra is all about you know i studied tantra deeply as well and i understand that it's all about there's no good or bad really you can embrace every side as long as you're embracing it from the right side sort of so tell me a bit about that yes absolutely well i didn't really know anything about tantra before i went to travel abroad and i went to bali and indonesia and india and i started to study and i also spent some time in ibiza in tantra community and had wonderful teachers there and started to learn about those dualities and the energy and did all that uncomfortable work of being heard expressing your voice expressing doing anger release doing a lot of a lot of meditation a lot of tantric breath work a lot of practices as well that resemble kundalini so where you're really sort of activating that energy and and doing a lot of release a lot of release because one of the most powerful thing I think about, about Tantra is having a safe container where you can actually allow yourself to be fully expressive. So one of the things that we learn as adults is to contain our emotions. So we don't often ride the wave of the emotions. So one of the things that I do a lot with my work is I just offer a safe space for someone to ride that wave and not stop or be interrupted because we have this idea 
that good girls don't cry, good boys don't cry. So we suppressed and we bottle up a lot of things. When actually having a good scream, a good shouting, a good shaking session, a lot of Tantra or Osho practices is about shaking, really having that somatic release of shaking it out. I've spent hours literally just shaking is transformational because a lot of our anger or resentment or lack of contentment is held at a very somatic level. So yes, you can do a lot of mind work on acceptance and then you can take a lot of actions and you can go into a habit optimization. But if you haven't released the scar tissue, it's like trying to mend a scar with more scabbing on top, right? You need to clean the wound and you need to apply the love in the places that still hurt, right? Yeah, I think that's probably the biggest curse of the modern world, if you ask me. The idea of there is a very specific image that you have to comply to and your emotions don't matter. Mm. You have to keep it all inside. You have to behave in a certain way. You cannot afford to show your emotions, let alone feel them in the first place, because that's not good for your professional image, if you want. You're here at work. You want to be reliable. You're here at school. You want to be silent. And those things will, will work against you. And so we keep them for years. I also, you know, sadly believe that Tantra is sold very badly in the world. You know, Tantra is normally sold as sexuality, which is oh God, you know, yeah. a minor part of the practice if you have to practice that part of you. But that whole idea of actually connecting is really what the practice is all about. And I think most people miss that. And I love that you said that because it can also be very dangerous. And that's, I think that's, Absolutely. that's good to highlight. I've been blessed with wonderful teachers, but I've also seen very dark teachers, very, very dark. And I'm blessed that I could walk away from certain situation. And I'm not saying that all Tantra schools are the same and I would never point fingers, but I just do want to mention that you have to be hypervigilant <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> because it's, yeah. uh, it's overused as a word and, and used and abused actually, because totally. Tantra is a philosophy above all, and it's really connecting with yourself before anything else. And it's doing that work. And, you know, people want to, again, they don't quick fix. Oh, I don't really want to work on myself. Let me have sex with someone else instead. Yeah, sure, absolutely. that's going to fix it. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I mean, I think we're shallow in so many ways. I mean, the reality is that we associate, I think it's probably the modern world, again, associating with the brand, but really not looking for the depth within it for how the actual origin, the actual philosophy is all about. I think that's a big, uh, a big issue. I still want to go back to animals. And I, I know we spoke a lot about it. But we have to change the way. I mean, I'm with you, by the way. I choose not to eat meat for many reasons. Yeah, I eat chicken very rarely. I eat fish very, very rarely. I'm not against it. I just don't like it very much. I just don't like the taste of eggs. But at the end of the day, I feel there is definitely a problem in overconsumption and animal cruelty. I mean, in reality, our world just so that you, you get the numbers right. I think, don't quote me on the, on the fractions here and the decimal points, but I think we slaughter somewhere around 90 billion animals a year. The US, I know for certain, slaughters 9.6 billion animals a year. 9.6 billion animals for 300 million population. That's massive. And it just doesn't feel right to me that humanity is supposed to be eating this way. 
Mm-hmm. I couldn't agree more, but there are some simple things that we don't do. So for instance, mm-hmm. biologically, and from a standpoint of bioavailability, one of the best meat for human consumption is actually the meat from ruminants. And it so happens that whenever you eat a ruminant, so whether it's a cow or a lamb, you actually need to kill less of it to feed more people. Now we have a tendency to explain, let's eat chicken, somehow their life is less valuable than the cow or the Absolutely lamb. And they're more contaminated by a lot of pesticide and all the different things that they're being fed. And they're smaller. So the concentration of the toxic things is higher. So I personally eat very little poultry because I'm very conscious of the fact that because I do eat an animal-based diet, the more poultry I eat, the more animals I slaughter, right? So I will actually go to local butcher or local farms And I will gather a few people that will buy a cow and different pieces. In Bordeaux, we do that quite a lot as well. We have a system whereby we can collectively buy a lamb or buy a veal or buy a pig. And then we can store it in our freezer and eat it for a whole lot of many months, right? So there are systems. And then the other thing that I do is whatever I put on my plate, I eat everything. So it's a good thing I don't have a dog because he'd be a pretty miserable dog because <laughs> I eat all the bones. <laughs> oh, that's actually really interesting. Yeah, when I go to the restaurant, I know people take away dessert, but I take my bones. So mm. people always, I always say I have a puppy, you know, because otherwise they think I'm just weird. <laughs> but I, I take my bones. Because <laughs> I'm the puppy. <laughs> I'm the puppy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And so if we are, if we're more responsible, we would kill less is what you're saying. Yes, we would eat nose to tail, which is how our ancestors used to eat. When there was a hunt, everything was used. The blood was given to the pregnant women or to the more weaker part of the tribe because blood is so full of iron. The liver was also given to the hunter that were the most hungry because they had gone to the hunt. The heart was often eaten as a sign of trophy by the man of the tribe that had done the kill. And then all the muscle meat was actually eaten after all the organ meats was eaten because organ meat is nature's natural multivitamins. We didn't evolve on multivitamins like we find now those supplements that are multivitamin. Multivitamin is in the organ of the animals. And our ancestors knew the like-for-like principle. So if someone had even problem with their eyesight, they'll be given eyes. If someone had problem with their breathing apparatus, they'll be given the lungs to eat. And lungs are very good to eat. But we've lost notion of this for some reason. Again, because it's not convenient, it's not pretty, it's not glamorous. And also we have really damaged our palate by adding sugar that didn't really exist in nature. The only form of sugar is the fruits and a little bit of honey, really. And both are quite seasonal, right? So we were never granted with that profusion of sugar all the time. And sugar is really one of the most addictive things that we can take as human. So, yes, I really hear what you say about animal cruelty. And I, being really empathic, I don't want to see any animal suffer. But really, I find that 
spending time with the hunters or fishermen are actually some of the people that care the most about the planet and not from the standpoint of paperwork. They understand nature. They know the season. They know the tracks. They know if an animal is too small to be killed, they won't. If an animal is waiting for a baby, they won't kill it. They have that profound devotion to nature because they're connected. I went all the way to Lapland few months ago to go on a hunting track and I, there I was going through the snow <laughs> and learning <laughs> about the hunting trail and you know the the hunter there who's this beautiful person who said to me he considered himself a hippie hunter and the reason he said that is because he was in awe with the nature and he had the most profound sense of respect and he gave me that cup of bone broth that came from an animal that had been killed a few days before. And there was this profound sort of almost ceremonial passing of the broth because he had so much respect and so much love had gone through the process, right? So I believe in this a lot more to improve our emotional, mental, and physical health than eating long shelf life plastic wrapped ingredient. That's the other thing. You know, when we talk about animals' life, we don't talk about the cost of the plastic wrappers of all the junk food. It may not contain animals' life, but, it's but how, life. how many animals are going to die As a because they're going to eat the plastic that's going to be thrown away on the streets or in the ocean, right? So there are so many other things to take into consideration before we point fingers at eating animals. I think this conversation is going to get a lot of people uh, texting me on social media and texting you. I think it's an interesting, unusual, open and confrontational conversation to the views that we're taught. Again, I choose not to eat meat, but that's a choice. I have to say, however, that a balance of, of a diet that is not too excessive in anything is probably the right balance. And interestingly to say that there are things that were never found in nature. So they're probably as healthy for you as the cardboard they come wrapped in. Why do you eat them in the first place is, is a very good question, actually. Perhaps, perhaps. And I will attach a, a send you a photo of me eating brain. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, okay. Maybe I should see that in person. I think that would probably get me thinking. People listening, you really, really have to see the contradiction between the very French, elegantly dressed, you know, speaking French and standing with her hands like a, a TV presenter and the image of Charlene eating brain. I, I just can't reconcile both. Yeah. Charlene, I want to talk about breathing. One of the things I resisted for a while was shamanic or holotropic breathing in general. And then I, I went on a few breathing classes and they freaking changed my life. Like it's an incredible experience when you go and I call it hyperventilate. I know I joke to annoy my instructors, but you know, but there is something there and, and you are a huge fan and a huge advocate of the topic. Tell me a bit about that. Oh, thank you. Yes, I love it. It's a topic I'm passionate about. And it's one of those obvious things, right? Where, you know, we think about ooh, food, water, but all those things, we can live with that for a few days, a few weeks, a few months, for the case of food, water, a few days, but breathing, a few seconds, right? Minutes, if we're lucky. And mm -hmm. yet, there is so much that we don't do well about breathing. And the reason that I love it so much is that because it 
is our anchor to the present moment. I think of breathing as the ultimate antidote to stress. And here's the reason why. Stress is either the mind going back or projecting. So we either stress, we either have anxiety about our past, something that happened, or we worry about the future, something that's about to happen. When we don't worry is when we are completely in the present. Now, for very busy, very successful, corporate-minded people, overachiever, type A personality, if you tell them to meditate and to be with their thoughts, that's a version of hell because that's when the mental chatter <laughs> is going louder and louder and louder, right? So asking someone who is overwhelmed not to think is the best way to make them think more, right? But what I found is if you anchor that person with their breath, then they have no choice but to be present because you have to actually concentrate on the inhale and the exhale, and then you replace any spontaneous thoughts that may come with I inhale and I exhale. And then you might still have the mental chatter. Of course, I appreciate that mental chatter comes and go, but I always say, think of it like a puppy, right? You have those crazy thoughts coming, like a puppy wanting to play with you. You are, in fact, the master, and you can choose whether or not to entertain the puppy. So instead of playing with the puppy, you're going to go, okay, I master, I'm going to stay with my breathing and I'm going to replace any thoughts by I inhale, I exhale. And it can be as simple as that. It's just the foundation of conscious breathing, going for a few minutes of I inhale and I exhale. This done for a few minutes can really make a tremendous difference into somebody's life. And the reason I think it's a superpower is because unlike yoga, where you need to change or work out, where you need to sweat, breathing is accessible at your work. It's accessible in a conference room. It's accessible when you're on stage about to give a presentation. It's accessible when you're about to meet your boss. It's also accessible in your bed when you're about to have an argument with your spouse, right? So <laughs> is <it>? it's everywhere. <laughs> Normally not, but yes. <laughs> So you can always count on it and it can be your new best friend because if you if you learn to extend the quality of your breath, I genuinely believe that you extend the quality of your life. Excessive breathing and hyperventilation and all of that, is that part of the practice? So when I went to those classes. Yeah, I love that you asked that. And I think that's actually a distinction that's not drawn often enough. So I'm, I'm really grateful you've asked the question. So there is conscious breathing, which is becoming aware of the fact that we're breathing. Funnily enough, it's not as easy as it sounds. So it's a process. Absolutely. I always say yeah. to everyone, do not come with your big white flag going, yeah, I've done it. It's not an event. It's a process, right? So every day you learn to do it a little bit more and a little bit more. And the other thing is, as you learn to be conscious with your breathing, then you can top up the practices. So you have dynamic breathing, which is uh, when you inhale and exhale in a rapid manner. So that's a formal holotropic breathing, or it's called also alkanine breathing, or it's also a Winhoff method, where you have quite a, an intense rhythm, and that will make you feel often warm or really activated, and you're going to feel a little high, you're going to have tingles in your hand, and you're going to feel a little 
lightheaded even sometimes you feel a natural high so that's one or many modalities of dynamic breathing but you can also go into grounding and calming breath work which are different modalities like the humming bee for example that will really bring you that sense of peace and calm so what i always say is think of breath work like a menu in a restaurant so if you're looking for something that's going to ground you down it's really good to know some modalities in your toolkit of breath work that are going to help you ground down if you're feeling a little bit groggy you're struggling to wake up you know you want to nail it you have a super important meeting i would say doing two minutes of breath of fire to really put you in a peak state so the way i use my breath work with my client is on demand like what do you want to feel i'll tell you how you want to breathe interesting and it's that direct one-to-one relationship it is i do also group classes and they're wonderful because you can really experience a whole different array of modalities. And it's good because then you learn those and you can adapt them and put them in your toolkit, right? What I love is just expanding people's toolbox. I want people to have more tools to play with in their wellness and their self-care kits. So they're tools and they can be used on demand. This is what's powerful, right? Yeah. Very powerful. I started our conversation by saying, this is a whole new world for me, you know, so much to learn, but also so much inspiration, honestly. You know what? I'll say this very openly, Charlene. It actually doesn't matter what you teach. I feel very inspired by the way you teach it. And it really is quite something for me to take a concept that's as controversial as being a a carnivore and eating the whole animal and, you know, picturing you eating brain, which I still am trying to keep out of my head and basically say to everyone, honestly, listening to us, I don't think there are right answers. I think, I think there is constant investigation. There is constant search. And as you rightly said, at the end, there is a chest of tools, you know, a drawer of tools that we draw on to try and get certain things done at certain times. And I really think that this is the key. With that, I can only thank you dearly for having given us the time and taught us so much. It's really, really an amazing conversation. I'm so grateful for your time today. So grateful for everything that you shared. I'm so grateful for meeting you and having this opportunity to plant some seeds of maybe thoughts and hopefully giving more tools for people to make wellness more accessible because at the end of the day, it is a choice, right? Whether or not you want to be well, and um, it's about also cultivating that art of fulfillment, right? Not always chasing the success, but having moments to ask yourself honestly if you're also fulfilled, which is sometimes harder than being successful, right? <laughs> yeah, best question of all. I agree. It's always harder than being successful. It is. Charlene, thank you so much. Thank you. <laughs> and I can promise you most of that... I don't know anything about. And actually, I don't also agree with some of it. You know, my diet style and lifestyle is slightly different. I have to say, though, it gives you quite a bit to think about because of the contrast sometimes between where I am and where others believe that health and well-being should be. I loved this conversation. I love to be stretched in my mind to parts of 
knowledge that I am not aware of. I hope you enjoyed that too. If you did, please do uh, rate the podcast five stars. You know the drill. Rate it five stars. Tell your friends about it on social media or personally. And find me on social media. Mo underscore Gaudet on Instagram is where I'm most active. Mo Gaudet on LinkedIn as well. And I'm not even mentioning the other two for now. Just tell me what you think. Tell me what I can do to make this better. We've been doing amazingly well with Slow Mo. Thanks to all of you. And hopefully we continue to bring you more of those intriguing and hopefully peaceful conversations to give you a slightly different view on life. Thank you for spending your time to listen to two full episodes with me today. I hope you don't just rush back into the crazy pace of life because remember, despite of how busy you are, it's actually wise and there is always some time to slow down. I love you all for listening and I will see you next time.